My next guest I had the privilege to sit down with is an actor, a writer, a producer, and a director. This is a really good episode. Uh, me and my guest, we've been trying to link up for some time now, and I'm so glad my guest was able to come here and share their story and be vulnerable and so everyone can hear their gender journey. Uh, within this episode, we discuss their, their career as an actor and also how they integrate their trans identity into their work as an actor. It's just so many good things within this episode that it's kind of hard to pull different pieces of it and tell you what it was about. You're just going to have to listen. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Them Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Aaron, he, him, his, and I will be your guide throughout this journey on the show. This show is a platform where trans men of color voices will be amplified as we share our stories. Trans men of color are not monolithic. What that means is our journeys are not the same. We come from different backgrounds. We have different stories, family relations, chosen family. And most of all, we have different transition journeys. Visibility equals possibility. I like to say that all the time. We like to highlight on this show trans men of color businesses and entrepreneurs, parents, athletes, survivors, and many other issues and topics that are relatable to trans men of color in our existence. Them Boys Podcast is not only a platform to amplify our voices, but to raise awareness and conversation around our lived experiences. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting, listening, and sharing the show. Welcome to Them Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Aaron. He, him, his. My next guest is an actor, a writer, a producer, and a director. I'm so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sean. And my name is also Sean. <laughs> nice. Sean and Sean. Beautiful. That's right. All right. So, Sean, you, would you like to share with us? First, I want to say, where are you located for folks that don't know? Uh, today, I am in Los Angeles. Uh, my primary home is Los Angeles. However, I was born and raised in North Carolina, and I've been spending the last three months in North Carolina. The It's so interesting that we're talking today, and I know this podcast is going to come out later, but the actors, I'm part of the Actors Union, the actors have been on strike. And that started in mid-July. So I went back home to North Carolina just at the beginning of August. And I just came back to LA this week. And just this week, uh, the writer strike or the actor strike is officially or unofficially over. I have to say unofficially, actually, because it still needs to pass. Like all the actors still need to vote on it. But it's a good sign. Um, and hopefully we're going to be through the strike pretty soon. So today, Los Angeles. Yes, nice. I really want to get into that too a little bit later. So I'm I'm really yeah. interested to hear the the nuances behind that strike. So uh, yeah. for folks who don't know you, Sean, you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Um, so my name is Sean Dasani. I spelled my name S H A A N. It is the Persian spelling for Sean, and it's my chosen name, which means to be proud of who you are. And um, when I was trying to figure out what name I wanted for myself. It resonated strongly with me, um, not just from not just from the meaning of it, but also kind of the the personal story behind it. We can talk about that in a bit. But 
so I'm an actor, writer, producer, and director. My background is in film production. I moved out from North Carolina to California. I got into film production. I learned uh, kind of everything behind the scenes of how you make a movie, how you make content. Um, and then after working in production for about 10 years, I got into acting. And that journey lined up with my personal journey of medical transition. So as I was medically transitioning and presenting more male, that opportunity to do something that I actually had always wanted to do as a kid became something that was a possibility for the first time in my life. And so I started to pursue acting. I took some kind of initially started doing a little bit of theater work in Los Angeles and, you know, theater in Los Angeles uh, historically hasn't paid very well, uh, isn't very sustainable as a career path of, of just doing theater. And uh, so I started training in commercials. I did, um, uh, I did a couple of commercials and then I started training with film and TV, more on camera work, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I've, I've stayed on the acting side all the way up until last year in 2022, when I finally had a chance to write a project for myself to act in and also produce along with two other really great producers, uh, which is a short spy movie called Agents of Change. It's a movie about secret agents that fight environmental crime. And um, this was my first time in about 10 years getting back into production. And so that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at now. That's why I, uh, I take all those labels. So as far as director, I do a bit of theater directing now as well. Nice. That's, that sounds, I'm, I'm not, I'm, even though I'm a very dramatic person, people in my <laughs> life say I'm super dramatic. I am. I'm not going to lie. But I don't know about theater. I couldn't do it. I'm too shy to actually do it in front of people. So for folks that are actors and, and can do it in front of people and have an audience, I commend you. Like my hat comes off to you. Maybe there's a, a reversal that happens because in real life, I'm actually pretty mellow and calm. <laughs> and so like maybe theater is a place that actually pull out that other identity to to get a chance to expand and, and be dramatic, as you say. Yeah. And yeah. looking at you, folks can't see you, but just looking at you have an actor's face, right? You think of somebody that's highly attractive and you're like, hey, this is somebody I want to see on the screen portraying a part that I like. And you got you absolutely have the face. I can say that. Done. I will take that compliment. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm not even going to say anything, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Let's go back a little bit. Um, when you yeah. talked about your name, and so I like to ask everybody this. I would like for you to just a little bit more detail of like, how did the name Sean choose you? Mm, yeah, I love that question. Um, well, as you know, it's a journey to like that finding the name and the name finding you is such a journey. Um, I guess I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted. And that's for me, that was the first part in the journey. It's interesting because I was still working on my student thesis film and um we i was in post-production i was editing i was sitting with my editor and we had to put a name on that film and so in my personal life and something that i wasn't telling very many people was that i was going through this process of of self-discovery and um coming into my trans identity even though i was still fumbling around with the with the words um but we sat there together, I was sitting with my editor, and we had to put a name under Directed By. And I had already spent months thinking about this. 
Um, and the name Sean, you know, the name Sean, um, the meaning of the name Sean really resonated with me. Uh, but I had a list of names that started with the letter R, and I had a list of names that started with the letter S. That list was very short. And the reason why is because when I was born, my dad's name starts with R and my mom's name starts with S. And they had decided with their kids that if they had boys uh, assigned male at birth children, they would name, um, they would start their name with the letter R. If they had assigned female at birth children, they would start their name with the letter S to follow suit. My mom's name started with S, my dad's name started with R. And so I really wanted to find a name that started with R. but kind of sitting with those options, nothing felt right. Nothing was quite singing in my heart. Um, but when I heard the name Sean and uh, realized what it meant, it also felt like a way to honor my own personal history. Uh, despite, you know, despite now, like what, what my parents had, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it felt like a way that I could honor, like, where I had come from, because I didn't want to step into this new identity and kind of forget that past me ever existed. I think past me really informed who I was and who I was becoming. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to honor that that journey holistically. Um, so I, I want to ask you then, I know we're, we're going to touch on this because I like to ask folks to, to tell me about their transition journey, but just speaking, you just mentioned both of your parents and that takes a lot of conversation. They must've had some wonderful conversation in their relationship to be like, okay, we're going to do the S's and the R's. Most people don't really, I I feel like people don't talk about it in, in depth of what they want to name their children. Um, but the name that you chose, how does your parents feel about the name that you chose? They, you know, it's a, just a funny story. Like my dad, well, my dad's been, I think it's been a little bit easier for him to be supportive through this process. And my mom has been, it's just been harder for her. Um, and I understand that. Uh, there was a moment, so Sean, you pronounce it Sean, S-H-A-A-N, but sometimes she fumbles on the pronunciation. She'll say Sean. And I'm like, I remember, I, it's just like a reminder to me that like, okay, she's still finding it. This is a few years ago. She's still, you know, getting comfortable with, with, uh, with everything. Um, but yeah, I'd say I, I've had a pretty good, like, it's been a pretty, like, best case scenario. I'd say I felt love from my family, you know, also knowing they are, you know, my mom and dad, they both grew up in India. This is not something that coming to America and starting a family and building a life, this was just not something that they ever thought they would ever have to deal with or think about. Um, but they have done an incredible job being supportive. My dad is somebody who's always followed his heart in life. He's an entrepreneur. Um, he left India when he was 16. He brought his whole family here eventually. Um, he married the person he wanted to marry. And so he's been a big believer in if something is true for you and maybe nobody else knows it or can feel it, if it's true for you, then you have to follow that and not worry about what other people think. And I was so, I felt so blessed that he had that in his own way, in his own journey, that that was something that he believed in because that was the way he could support me he couldn't quite understand and he didn't have the same journey with his gender and gender identity, but he could understand that. And because of that, he, um, 
he helped my mom through it quite a bit. He talked to her and, and kind of helped create that boundary so that she could go through her part of the journey independent of me. Um, so at this point, I think there's just, you know, it's interesting because there's also this kind of pride in having, maybe it's a cultural thing, um, but there's this pride that I, that I feel from them in having a son. And I think that they would be proud of me regardless, but it's just, there's something different that I experience sometimes with them that it's like, huh, I, I never thought that this would be something I would feel. And it's maybe it's a, a subconscious thing, but um, I've got two sisters. They're both way better people than I am. I will say that <laughs> they are the best sisters in the world. I'm the middle child. And I think they both made my parents endlessly proud. Um, and yet there's just that, you know, it's, it's a cultural thing where I feel like something that I wish we would undo as a story in our head, as far as like this proud, this, this pride in having a son versus a daughter, you know, I, I think I see this sometimes in, in different cultures and Asian cultures. I'm like, I, I really shouldn't be that way because I think the best masculine folks learn, I think maybe from the women in their life. And maybe that's the best way I can put it. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if I answered your question, Sean, but no, oh, you did. That was good. I I think people tend to want someone that is similar to themselves. And so mothers tend to want daughters and men tend to want sons because it's something so much similar to themselves. Like, I don't know about all these other the nuances about a little girl, but I know, you know, what I mean, just I, I think that's kind of like where it comes from. I'm not I'm not sure, because to me, I wouldn't care as long as my child is healthy and happy. Yeah. And that's all I would care about. Um, yeah, so, yeah. but the the way people feel about the birth of their child, I don't know. Like, especially in certain cultures, like you mentioned, like Asian cultures, is like, I think it's also being socialized that way, right? Of like how society puts it, that order of who you are and in, in, in your experiences in life. So, you, p parents tend to want their child to have an easier life, and so well, the, whatever. Yeah, I think it's a generational thing too, and um, there was this like like cultural narrative that the the son will take care of the parents when they get older and that the parents shouldn't go to the daughter's house i mean not to like go live with the daughter and their son-in-law like that would be inappropriate and so there was like this which i don't agree with and i don't think this is the case i i think this is a generational story that you know people don't necessarily think that way anymore and i think this generation who's now having children isn't going to think that way because there's so many other things happening in our world today. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how those like older narratives, like they, they don't die easy, you know? Yeah. Especially when it's ingrained in you and, and your culture. I know uh, my son, he's 26 and he just had a, a, a baby, which is my granddaughter. And when he was expecting a child, he didn't care. He's he's just like, I just want a child. I don't care. So it's like, I guess you're right, right? The different generations of folks wanting children or, or not um, and how they feel about the children that they're having. It's a, it's just a difference. It's, it's, it's generational. I believe you. Like, it got to be generational, right? Where you're like, I don't care what my child is. I just want a healthy child with this person that I'm having a child with. And that's the most, it should be the most important thing. So Yeah. So my next question would be to you that kind of like transitions over to that. It's like, so, you know, we talked about your parents and a lot of times, and that's good about your father, right? Because I didn't have that relationship with my father. My father, when I told my father, well, he found out I didn't necessarily tell him 
um, that I was going to transition. He said, I don't care. You'll always be my little girl. That was it. And I haven't talked to him in 10 years. I medically transitioned 10 years ago. And so it was like, that wasn't the response I wanted. But since you're not supportive and you weren't in my life anyway, I can do without you at this point. Thank mm. you for your, you know, your contribution and bringing me here into this world. But all right, this, this is it for us. Um, yeah. But I would like to know your transition journey from wherever you feel comfortable starting from up until where you are now. It's so interesting, man. I feel like transition never stops. Not, and I'm not talking about necessarily gender transition, but the idea of change and transformation happens at every stage in life. And what's happened since medical transition for me is when I've been dealing with things after that, that feel hard, I go back and remind myself, well, you went through that. So that, that was, that was a journey that was difficult. Um, that gave you strength in a way that you have to remember that you have to be able to go through any transition that life is throwing at you. Um, but for me, as far as medical transition, um, I had, I had just come out of a five year long relationship. It was my longest relationship. It was also, uh, about 12 years ago now, um, when the awakening happened for me. So coming out of that relationship, I had heard the word transgender. It's about 2011. And when I looked up what it meant, I realized that that's how I had felt my entire life. And I had heard the word, but it wasn't until I looked it up on Wikipedia <laughs> um, that I was like, oh, okay. There's a reason you could never say that you were a lesbian because that never resonated. Anytime I would disclose anything identity to somebody, I would almost always say, I like girls. Um, and I never knew how to address my gender identity. I guess I just thought it was all wrapped up in one. Uh, but so I was coming out of this relationship. And for the first time in a long time, feeling like I had the courage to take a look at myself and what I was going through. Um, I was also just coming out of film school i was working on my thesis film um and so you know it's like one of those things where when you kind of open the door to your truth you can't you can't ignore that you can't just pretend you didn't see that you know so kind of understanding what it meant to be transgender for me and the more i kind of learned i I was scared because I thought, well, what if you feel you want to or need to medically transition? What does that mean? How are you going to navigate that? Because that's not just going to be something I could, you know, put in a box and live quietly by myself. Like if I was going to medically transition, everyone in my life would know, um, which means my parents would have to then tell their communities and how are they going to have those conversations? And so that kind of thing really, honestly, it terrified me. Um, and so I would go through these periods of time where I would just read a little bit, pick up some books, look up some, you know, some blogs and watch some YouTube videos and learn what I could get scared and then stop and then just completely like put it out of my head for about a week, two weeks, and then it would come back. And I thought, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to make any decisions. You don't have to move in any direction. Just give yourself permission to learn. Um, so I did for about a year. I kept, re I read as much as I could. I, I 
found groups of other trans folks, other trans masculine people, people who were older. And that was interesting because getting to meet people who now I've been on T for about 10 years, getting to meet people at that time who had been on T for 10 years, 20 years, you know, I was like, wow, I didn't even know. Like, we don't know our, our, um, our ancestors, our elders. We don't know these folks. And, um, and so it showed me like a possibility that I just didn't think existed for me. So uh, it gave me hope, I guess I'll put it that way. Once I realized that I needed to take the step of medical transition, that it it didn't it didn't resonate for me to um, to not medically transition. Like it just I, I felt like my body needed to, and I needed to feel this like fullness of existence for myself. Um, because I kept thinking about what if you're, you know, what if you're 50, 60, 70 years old, whatever, and you just never do this, like how will you feel? And it just felt, um, it felt incomplete. It felt like life would feel incomplete. So I decided to go ahead and move forward. For me, the first thing that I did was actually change my name and start going by a new name before I actually legally changed it. I started going by a new name and the name Sean, and then also um, asking people close to me to use he, him pronouns. Um, and uh, and I, I think the first thing I did with my family, so I couldn't quite explain to them, or I didn't know how to explain to them what I was going through. So when I had to put the directed by credit on that film, and I and I told my family, hey, I've got this thesis film, it's going to be playing in the festival circuit, and I'm using the name Sean. Um, I kind of told them it was just a Hollywood thing. I was like, you know how people in Hollywood change their name, you know, that, that's what's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> and um my grandmother knew though my grandma without saying very much kind of got it and i know that because um she had no issue she had no issue with it she i think my grandfather had passed away already she was my my last living grandparent on my father's side and uh, when she was told I was going by Sean, I remember she just kind of looked at me. She nodded. She said, okay, Sean. And she never called me any other name after that. And so slowly with time, I think because my father was so supportive, um, as I disclosed, hey, I'm going to move forward with this and and go on this process of medical transition, um, my family was... It was it was a bit challenging, but I think they always came from a place of love and tried to understand. Um, but they always created that supportive atmosphere. So um, I always feel like I had a best case scenario. Hey, this is Sean Aaron. I'm the founder and executive director of Them Boys Inc. I am also the host of Them Boys Podcast. As you may know, Them Boys provides financial assistance to trans men of color in order for them to obtain gender affirming surgery. We have great news. We're currently looking for volunteers to help support our programs. Our programs include our gender affirming surgery grant program and also our personal care package program. We personally curate packages filled with personal hygiene items, just to name a few things like tissue, soap, 
towels, toothpaste, and toothbrushes. We mail them out to trans men of color across the country who may be in need of help caring for their personal hygiene needs. We are looking for volunteers to help raise funds to support our programs. Also, we're looking for someone locally to the Bay Area to help us put all of the care packages together. If our mission is something that resonates with you and you would like to help support our work, just let us know. You can send an email to hello at themboys.org. That is H-E-L-L-O at D-E-M-B-O-I-S dot org. And we will get back to you with further details. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the next episode. How did that uh, make you feel that your grandmother kind of just took it? I think grandparents kind of know. Like my my grandmother, I mean, she's older and she sometimes misgender me. That's okay. I'm like, you in your 80s, I'll let you be. But it was yeah. my grandfather for me. He just knew. Like he didn't say anything. He just knew. And we just went on about our relationship as normal. And uh, unfortunately, he couldn't speak because he had a stroke. But he just, I just, I felt it in my heart that he just knew and he loved me no matter what. Um, how did that make you feel um, to have that acceptance for your grand, from your grandmother, even though she didn't really say it? I think when a person's either elder or younger, there's this kind of acceptance where it's almost spiritual. It's like, there's this realization of what's actually important in life. And what's important is how you make people feel, how you treat people. Are you respecting them for who they are? Are they feeling loved by you? And those were the values that I felt like she was coming from. And it's funny because the name change happened first. And then I think it was about a year and a half before I started my medical transition, I was about four months on T and I was living out in California. I went to, um, I went back to North Carolina for a visit home and she was in, uh, she was in a healthcare facility. She was in nursing care and I went to go see her and I had asked, I remember I asked my dad, I was like, has anybody told her that I've started medical transition? And he said, no. I mean, she's like dealing with kind of end of life stage right now. So we haven't said anything to her. So I thought, you know, I want to go see her. Um, and I was starting to, you know, facial hair was starting to come in. My voice had changed a bit. And so I was kind of concerned. I was like, how am I going to explain this? Because we hadn't talked about all that stuff. So I had to go because I thought, what if this is the last time you can actually see her? Um and I thought, despite what I might be, you know, feeling, you know, whatever awkward conversation might come about, let me just go see her. So I went to the nursing care facility and I, I get to her room and she's not in there. She's actually in the restroom. I can hear her with the nurse. Um, so I knocked on the door and I told her I was in the room. She said, OK. So the nurse comes out. And she wheels my grandma out on a wheelchair and my grandma is kind of hunched over. So she's not quite looking up. I can tell she's a bit exasperated. Um, you know, she, she didn't speak great English and she's in a healthcare facility in North Carolina. And, you know, you've got, you've got to communicate with, with folks using a language that doesn't come so easy to you. Um, so I could feel like her own, you know, what she might be going through and I just wanted to see her, you know? So the nurse brings her out and the nurse asks me, can you help me lift her into the bed? 
So I said, sure, just tell me what to do. So she said, you take one arm, take go underneath her arm, and I'll go on the other side. And we kind of you kind of take your arm underneath and we'll lift her up into the bed and then get her to sit back. I said, sure. So we did. She said, okay, one, two, three. And we both picked her up and we lifted her and put her in the bed. And she laid back. And when she laid back was the first time she was able to put her head back and see my face. And um she caught her breath because obviously she was scared. You know, you're being held and lifted by other people. Um, and so she looked at me and she smiled and she said to the nurse, this is my grandson. He lives in California. And, uh, and the, you know, I said to her, I was like, so you knew. And she just looked at me and she nodded yes. And that was it. She didn't say anything after that about it. And we played some cards like we usually do. She loves playing cards. We played cards. We chatted for a bit. And it's just, it wasn't even a big thing. You know what I mean? And I think when, yeah, when you see life in that way, um, you realize what's really important. And that's what I felt from her. Um, so even, even though there are some my cousins a couple of my cousins a couple of my uncles and aunties that were still kind of grappling with with what i was going through you know later at her funeral because she did pass away um later at her funeral i was asked to speak and i shared that story and i think it was just one of those just one of those i might not have ever talked about it with anybody but the opportunity showed up and i felt like that was a great way to um leave one of her life lessons behind for everybody else who was in the room, you know? So. Hearing you say that, I kind of got overtaken with a little bit of emotion, emotions because your story with your grandmother is complete opposite of my story with my grandfather. And so I started to grow facial hair myself and my grandfather was kind of towards the end of his life as well. Um, he didn't really say anything. I only I do know one thing he told me. I tell my cousins this all the time. He did say I was I was his favorite grandchild. Now that he said in good English, I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Right. But I was growing my facial hair out. And it's one reason why I will not grow my facial hair today. Um, but I was growing it out. It wasn't as luxurious as yours, but I was growing it out nonetheless. And I stayed away from my grandmother for months and my grandfather for months. And I didn't go around because I I knew that he knew. But I didn't want to explain it because once you see it, it's different, right? It's, there's a different uh, response to who you are when you have facial hair. My voice, that don't matter, right? My top surgery, that didn't matter. It was the facial hair to me that's like, okay, now that just solidifies everything in my change. And I love my grandfather. He loves me. And I just want to keep it just as that. I don't want to have no more conversations about it because it's, he's at the end of his life, right? I stayed away. And I was getting ready to go away for a week um, to a retreat. And everything was just, you know, I was like, oh, I'm gonna go see him before I go. And I never did go and see him. I was like, nah, because I still want to keep my face. I don't want to shave. I left three days later as I was gone. My grandfather died. Mm. And that weighs so heavy on my heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it makes mm. me emotional now because I just, I, I cried so hard that I allowed who I was as a person and, and my beard and my mustache to keep me away from somebody that I love so dearly. And I, I regretted it for so long that even after he was buried, it took me like two years to even visit his gravesite. 
because I just felt that guilt of me allowing who I was to get between me and anybody else. So I had made a promise to myself that I would never grow facial hair again because mm-hmm. I didn't want that feeling to resurface and separate me from someone that I love. So just to hear you say that your mm-hmm. grandmother looked up at you, excuse me. Oh, it's um, okay. It's okay. Yeah, because <clears throat> it's still a raw feeling because I love my grandfather very much. And to know that I missed that, I always thought like, what if he was waiting on me? What if he just couldn't hold any longer? He was waiting for me to show up and I didn't show up for weeks in a month or two. And he just Mm -hmm. couldn't hold on anymore. So I I say, you know what? I never go facial hair again. And I haven't since then. Um, Mm -hmm. But to know that somebody like yourself was able to embrace that and have your grandmother look up at you and say, this is my grandson before death. That just, that just means something to me. I've come with, I, I've, I've, since then I've had closure. He's died, what now, four, like five years ago now. And I've had closure, you know, about that, but it just, it warms my heart to know that you had that and was able to be loved and accepted by your grandmother with, with everything that you are. So yeah, thank you for allowing me to uh, no, share that. No, Sean, thank you for sharing that. That's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful story. And I feel like, you know, joy and pain are wrapped up in it together, man. You know, and also, well, despite that, you were his favorite. And I don't think, I don't think that changed, you know. I feel like when someone's at that point in life, you just, there's a whole other perspective that sets in that most of us will never know until we're in that moment. And I feel like everything is just love. Everyone who ever hurt you, everyone who ever, who you ever hurt, there's probably just nothing but just soft, gentle love, you know? And so you're, you're left with that, you know, and you've reconciled that and I'm, and it's given you your lessons of what, of how now you're going to move through the world um, and prioritize certain things. Um, But yeah, it's your your grandfather sounds like a a very loving human being, and so I appreciate you sharing that. Also, for your audience, please don't let Sean Aaron fool you. Sean Aaron is a good looking <laughs> dude, with or without you giving me two compliments now, and I really do appreciate that. Uh, but Sean Aaron's got so much style right now. You should see him with swaggy glasses and his beautiful dimples. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate absolutely. it. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about your career a little bit. So you are all of these things, actor, writer, producer, director. Um, you want to share a little bit about your career and how um, I, I, I want you to talk about your career, but I also want you to discuss how your trans identity is uh, integrated into your career. Yeah, that's there's so much wrapped up into that. You know, um, I feel like had I not medically transitioned, I wouldn't have been an actor right now um it's interesting too because like before that so i moved out from north carolina to california and one of the big reasons was yes for film school but also to find community also it's not like i was sitting over there being all out and comfortable in my skin like that wasn't the case at all i didn't know who i was i know i I didn't know other people that felt like me you know so there was a big uh a big kind of reason to move out to California and kind of the career and the personal life is very much like intertwined for me. Um, Because even like making the films I was making in film school, like they didn't deal explicitly with 
queer identity. Um, that just wasn't something I was ready to kind of broach in my work. I was dealing with things like, you know, fear of self. I was dealing with identity in other ways that would like themes would show up in my work. Um, I was dealing with family things. Um, but I will say, uh, so I started out in film school. I learned everything behind the scenes production, and I really loved the production world. When you, at least from my experience in school, is I learned the all the technical aspects of making a film. What I didn't learn was how to actually build a career after that. And I think this is a very common experience, especially for something like film, because no two careers look alike. You have all these kids coming out of film school, and everyone's going to have a completely different path of how they're going to build a sustainable career and i think that's why it's a very hard thing to teach but i think it would have been nice to have some like hey here's some options of how you could go on and have a career um so i came out of school and i was working independent production um you can go the studio route you can go the independent route i didn't know how to do the studio route so i was just independently creating projects and stuff um and um uh, I was mostly working, mostly doing like work as an assistant director or a unit production manager or producing. And I would direct a little bit here and there. Um, so about, I mix up my timelines, but I guess it was about 2012, 2013. I was directing a series of dance videos um, for an app uh, where you can learn this style of dance called Bhangra. And Bhangra is like a Punjabi folk dance out of Northern India. It's a very celebratory dance. Um, and I had to create a series of videos, like step-by-step -step tutorials. So we shot those videos in North Carolina and then we were editing here in California. So I was working with my editor. My editor is by that point, like a good friend of mine. And he was a musician, um, an editor. He was an actor. He was uh, a photographer, did a little bit of everything, a cinematographer. And so he was editing these videos. And then I remember one day I came to show up for an edit session. I was like, man, I really want to get into acting. And actually, this was 2014. Um, he, I, I was, I had already started tea. I was about four or five months. It was pretty much after that visit with my grandmother. And he said to me, he was like, well, what's stopping you now? And I said, actually, I don't know. And he said, tomorrow when you show up, bring a white shirt, a black shirt, and I'm going to take your headshots. And um, we're going to post you on this casting site, and I'm going to show you how to self-submit for auditions. And I was so grateful that he did that because I didn't know I didn't know anything about what actors do or how actors get their jobs and you know all that stuff. So he showed me. Um, we posted my profile on a one of the main casting websites called Actors Access, and within a week I had my first audition for a theater show, in which the character was about six months on testosterone. And um, it was for something called the Young Playwrights Festival, which happens every summer in Los Angeles. And I went for the audition. And the only people auditioning was me and one other person. And he was a friend of mine. <laughs> and you have had him on this show. And uh, who is we that? get mixed up. Okay. Let me see if I can give you one, one or two more clues. He's also South Asian. I know okay, who that's, you're talking that's about, but what if, what like, if the audience, know. yeah, what if the audience doesn't know who you're talking about? You want to share that name or you want everybody yes, else to get yes, it? Yes, sure, sure, sure. Uh, so this is D'Lo, who's an amazing performance artist. Yes. Uh, and also a friend. And he had 
uh, created music for one of my student films like back in the day. And so I was like, yo, and he was like, yo. And we go into the audition. And I'm like, it's just you and me here. And he was like, yeah, this is 2014. It was kind of before there were, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of trans folks in the acting space at that point. It has changed since then. And I'm very happy to say that. Um, so he goes into the audition first and he comes out and he goes, you got it. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, well, um, this production goes up in June and I am out of town. And I was like, oh, shit. OK, <laughs> so wow. I go in there and I do my thing and they're like, hey, cool, you got the part. And I was like, well, there you go then. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of needed that break because I had zero training at that point. Um, but it was a great like first gig because it gave me so much confidence to feel like I could actually do this. Now that's kind of, you know, that is not typical. You don't just throw your profile up online and boom, week later you get an audition and boom, you get the audition. That really doesn't happen. So it was like one of those things that spoiled me a bit. Um, but I got a chance to work with a great uh, director um, who really nurtured this like young, this, this like inexperienced voice that I had, this like energy that I had. Um, and he really did um, kind of help shape the performance in a way that, that I, you know, I got a chance to find things that I didn't know were there. Uh, so from there, I did a couple more theater shows. And that's when I was like, you know, I need to do something that's um, not just theater because you can actually lose money doing theater in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, so it's, so I started doing commercials. I trained for, um, I took commercial acting classes, um, which is where I found my, uh, my first commercial agent. Uh, what they would do is you would take these classes and then they would do these agent showcases where they would invite a few different agents to come watch you do your um, your your little 30 second read on on whatever the copy was. And then from there, you can set up meetings with the agents if they're interested in you. Um, so I had a couple of meetings and the first agent that I met with now I was like, OK, you're a trans person. You're acting your commercial acting coach doesn't know this about you. Your class doesn't know this about you but you're going to build a relationship with your agent for the long term. In the commercial world, it's not necessarily going to be relevant because it's about the look. But also, I didn't have tons of people that I felt like I could talk to about this at the time. It was like 2015 now. Um, but I thought, should you tell your commercial agent in your meeting? Like, should you be telling them in the meetings that you're trans or should you not? And I didn't know, but I do know that my, um, my commercial coach my teacher had said something in class one time that made me hesitate. And the thing that he said was, if you are vegetarian, which I was, don't tell your agent. And I was like, what? Because there are so many auditions that are for Burger King, for McDonald's, for Wendy's, for this, that. So he's like, if they know that you can't go in for those, they might not sign you. So I was like, well, it's, you know, what about transgender? I don't know. Like, but kind of keeping that like in mind, um, I didn't know what to do, but I decided, you know what? I'm just going to tell them because if they Google me, they're going to know because I was doing some, um, some advocacy work at the time as well. So I went ahead and, you know, the, the meetings I was going to, you know, I told them, I remember the first meeting I went to, I could feel the energy shift in the room when I told her. Um, and I knew that they weren't going to sign me. I could, I could just feel it. And maybe it was because of that. Maybe it was because I was still very green. I didn't have tons of experience. 
Um, but I could feel that, but I still felt like I did the right thing. I went into my next agent meeting um, about a week later and same thing. I told her, I was like, is this going to be a problem for you? And she said, um, would you like me to submit you for trans only characters? And I said, no, submit me for whoever I looked apart for. She said, great, because that's what I would do. And I said, fantastic. And I ended up signing with her. And they were a great, great agency uh, to be with. So that was on the commercial side. They eventually signed me on their theatrical side as well. Um, I'm still with their theatrical department. I have a different commercial agent now. Um, and, you know, so much of this, nobody tells you how to do it. I think it sounds right now, even as I'm telling it to you, Sean, it, it sounds kind of easy and like la-di-da, but I'm like, nobody tells you how to do this. You just kind of, you, you try to ask as many questions as you can, you know, you kind of figure some things out as you go along, but it can be a very challenging, frustrating experience to, to learn how to navigate, like being an actor. I think the other thing, the big difference to me is I love being on set. When you're in production, which means when you're behind the scenes working on a, on a film set or on a commercial, you're busy all the time. You're doing something constantly. Uh, when you're acting, you're waiting a lot of the time. And you get to, you know, when they're ready for you, you better be ready to go. Um, you're also, in essence, you're kind of a product. So as the actor, you have to learn to market yourself, your own self, as, a, as you might a product. And that was something I had a lot of disconnect with. Even though before film school, I studied marketing. But I couldn't apply those same things. I always found those things like challenging to apply to myself. Um, so there, there have been a lot of learning lessons along the way to like figure out how do you navigate uh, a career as an actor. I've had a chance to be a part of some very cool projects. I did a couple of digital series, uh, a show called Razor Tongue uh, that was created by Rain Valdez, who was Emmy nominated. And this was her show that uh, I got a chance to be a part of back in 2018. Uh, later that year, I got a chance to do this amazing queer comedy series called These Thems. Um, and this was kind of like where I felt like I was starting to find my people. Um, what I mean by that is, whatever kind of wherever you land as an actor um it's important to find other performers that you can share not just the actor identity but also like identities outside of that and these were both like queer-led projects and i was starting to meet other like queer creatives that was very important for me in my journey um because it led me to finally make the short that I have going right now in the film festival circuit called Agents of Change. And uh, Agents of Change is a spy genre film. Um, I got a chance to work with the people that were involved, that I've worked with before and bring them into this project. Um, but also just, just kind of building community with other folks that I enjoy working with and want to continue working with. Uh, Long-winded answer. And feel free to ask some follow-ups. I think I lost lost you along the way there. No, of course you didn't lose me. And I love long-windedness because I'm long-winded myself. So I, I, <laughs> I welcome it. I definitely do. Hey, this is Sean Aaron, the host of Them Boys Podcast. Are you enjoying the podcast so far? Great. I'm glad that you are. 
Would you consider donating today to help support the continuation of this podcast? As you know, this podcast aims to serve as a platform to highlight and amplify the voices of trans men of color and share our transition stories. The podcast not only aims to amplify trans men of color voices, but it also raises awareness around our lived experiences. You would like to donate? Where can you donate? Great. I'm glad that you asked. Link in our description will take you directly to Network for Good, whom we've partnered with in order to collect donations for the podcast. Or you can visit our website. On the website, click the donate button. And from there, you are able to donate directly to the podcast. All donations are tax deductible. What does the donations go to? Oh, I'm glad that you asked. Your donation will help to support our production costs. We are working with Jasmine from Pink Lady Productions that brings you this awesome content. And also, we pay our guests an honorarium. Pay our guests an honorarium? Yes, we do. Why? Because as trans men of color, we would like to support and uplift each other and honor the time that's given out to come here and share their stories. So if you love this podcast, share and donate. See you on the next episode. Take care. I have so many questions, but it's like, do can we answer all of these questions? No, but my first thing is, if you're a vegetarian, why can't you do a Burger King commercial? It's all about acting, right? If you're an actor and you play a murderer, you're not really a murderer in real life, right? You know, it's that's the part of the yeah. game. I don't get it. Yeah. If I'm looking yeah. at a commercial, I'm not expecting this person to be sitting down eating a, a, a Burger King burger and fries and drink. No, you taking a bite of it because the point is to convince me to get up out of my house and go buy Burger King. So why yeah. can't you be a vegetarian and do that? Please explain <laughs> that to me. It was just one of those things that I feel like I didn't know who I could ask even about it. I was like, should I even tell him I'm a vegetarian? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. You know, it's like when you're very new at something and you're also, you know, you're listening to the subject matter experts in this and you're like, you're taking your cues from them. You're like, okay, okay, this is how it is. This is how it is. I think it takes a minute to really say, okay, that's bullshit. I'm going to do this my way. And People, people are either going to, you know, I'm going to find people that are going to support that. And I'm going to find people that won't, but I have to do this my way. I have to still live in my authentic experience. And I think this is why I come by, come back to like life is full of transitions because even then my career was shifting. And I think coming into that, like you can, you can learn um, from, from different people that have different experiences that have that, you know, know the acting world, but don't forget who you are as a person in that, because they're going to all tell you who they want you to be or who they think you are. I mean, if you take like an actor's like branding course, they're going to tell you based on your look, this is who you are. These are the roles you should play. And those things may or may not feel authentic to you. You know, um, like my look, for example, I am um, five, five, and I am uh, South Asian. I'm a brown guy. And so kind of and my voice is a little bit higher. You know, it's not like a deep, deep voice, you know. Um, so I might play comic relief in something. But comedy doesn't come so easy to me. Or, or I might play like the, the funny friend character or whatever. It's like those things don't come so easy to me. And I actually kind of enjoy doing like a little bit more substantive, like dramatic roles. Um, doesn't mean you can't build your comedic muscle. It just means you have to also keep in mind what others tell you, how others might see you. But you can't lose yourself in that to the point where you can't see yourself anymore. So for folks that are listening, what if it's someone that's younger? I'm going to say younger than us. They say, hey, I'm a trans identified and I want to be an actor. 
Is there mm-hmm. any advice that you would give someone that's coming up that would like to choose this career? First thing I feel, what I might say is that try to let go of this expectation that you should get opportunities just because you're trans. Because I see that a lot too. And I've also felt that way sometimes. Um, but I think you have to really try to be good. Um, and then once you're good, try to be great. So that means find out where you can actually get better as an actor. Uh, take classes there if you can. If you can't, because classes are expensive. There are books. There are um, YouTube videos. Like a lot of like really cool acting coaches, they'll have videos online and you know you can learn as much as you can so try and be a sponge and and learn as much as you can to be good at your craft like see yourself as an as an actor first but hold your trans identity like remember that that's a part of you that also gives you strength well stand true to yourself stand true to your trans identity amongst all of the other things of being an actor yeah yeah um you mentioned a few times um about had you not transitioned, you wouldn't have gotten, you wouldn't be in the place that you are today, but you didn't really touch on that. You want to talk about that a little bit more. How do you feel that being a, a, a trans uh, masculine person opened up more opportunities for you versus not? Well, I think, you know, I felt like there was this person I was constantly protecting and guarding. Um, pre-transition. And so, first of all, had I not medically transitioned, I don't think I would be comfortable to audition for roles in which I would play uh, assigned or femme present or feminine people or or women or, you know, uh, even non-binary people, because that didn't feel, you know, maybe for a certain period of time, yes, but it wasn't necessarily my truth. so I think that's that's a big part of it. Like going through a medical transition uh, process allowed me to feel to pursue the roles that I felt aligned with actually who I was. I like that. So you feel like your transition gave you the confidence you needed to be who you are at, on as an actor, I should say. So you have more confidence now than you did before. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's not necessarily the confidence. I think. I think the confidence has come from like these last 10 years of, you know, experience and kind of shakiness and finding out, finding who I wanted to be as a human being, Um, the qualities, the type of um, what I wanted to embrace as, as a person. And I am trying not to say as a man, because I feel like these aren't necessarily man qualities. It's just like about being like a, a whole human being. You know, right. so I think like these these last 10 years of like sitting in this skin where the world actually perceives me as cis for better or for worse. Um, but I know that, OK, that's the perception on me. And I'm kind of like finding finding my like really who I am through all that. Um, going through that journey, I think, has given me confidence. Um, but the medical transition, I think, gave me a. Uh, it kind of gave me permission to start walking this path, if that makes sense. And I know that's not something that everybody who identifies as trans needs or wants or is able to uh, go through. 
um, that was just true for me. I love that. I feel like even with my own journey, for me, I think, um, I won't say confidence because I've had confidence in every aspect of my life. And I talked about this earlier today with someone about like, I've, I've gone through all the letters almost of the L, the G, the B. Now I'm on a T and the Q. And so in every step of my life, I don't really, when folks say dysphoria, it doesn't really resonate with me personally because I was comfortable in my body in every step that I took. It just, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I, I'm outgrowing this L. So now I'm going to move on to the next thing. So it was just my growing and learning more about myself. But I've always had that confidence. But I feel like me medically transitioning, uh, I don't know. I think maybe my mind and my body is more aligned. I feel like I'm more authentically who I am. I'm more, um, I'm more present in my body. So I'm able to do, man, you could have told me 10 years ago I was going to be doing a podcast and I will say, absolutely not. You don't know what the hell you're talking about, right? But I feel like, my journey and my life have led me up to this point. I don't know. Maybe it's experience. I don't know what it is, but I, you know, it's just, it's just a difference. You know, I don't think as a a, a feminine identified person, or if I hadn't went through the medical transition, I would ever be in the place that I'm in now. I don't know, but I don't. I'm kind of like you. I kind of like oh, I don't really know why or like how to put my finger on that. So yeah. Because I think there's so much wrapped up in all that, you know, it's hard to kind of point to one thing, because at the same time, it's like you're going through something in your personal life that isn't necessarily about your transition. Maybe it's the relationships that you're in. Maybe it's like the way that you might have to show up for the people in your life. And those are they're like big learning lessons in that. I think I've, I've learned a lot through my relationship mistakes. And also, I would say this, talking about relationships, I think one of the biggest where I'm at right now is letting myself love myself because I'm one of these people that gives a lot um, without necessarily thinking about all the things that I need. And I think I've been guilty of like sacrificing my needs or not paying attention to my needs as much. And I'm just at that place now because when something about when you asked me about confidence, I'm like, this is the most confident I've felt because I think this is the first time that I feel like I'm not wanting to be in a relationship right now it's interesting because like ever since i was a kid i was joking with a friend of mine about this the other day is like you know most people you know you grow up you go to school and you think about who like your career you think about what you want to be i'm like i didn't think much about those things i thought about girls i mean that's what i thought about when i was in school i was like i had a crush on this person on that person on that you know so i was like they my girls all the time and i (laughs) When it comes to relationships, I would think about you'd be you would be lucky if you could ever be with a girl that you like, because having all these crushes and not being able to do anything about it and seeing the whoever I liked go date some cis guy felt like felt like that would never happen for me, which meant real love would never happen for me. That was like a story in my head. And so. I think I carried a bit of that in my relationships of I'm going to try to make this work no matter what, even if it wasn't the right relationship, even if many times I consciously knew this is not the right relationship for you, but still holding on to that because what if you never have that again? So coming from that scarcity mindset and like now looking back, it's like, well, You poured so much. Why was it so easy for you to pour so much into those relationships 
why couldn't you take that same energy and pour it into yourself? And so medical transition was like that for me. I was coming out of a relationship at the time. It gave me the space to kind of explore this. But it was one of these things where I was like, you have to do this for yourself. It might cause pain in the family. It might be hard for people to understand, whatever, whatever, whatever. Maybe it might be hard to date after that. Um, but you still have to just do this for yourself and not be afraid of whatever's going to come from that. Um, so I'm, I am recently newly single again, but I feel, and it was a very healthy breakup. It was probably one of the healthiest breakups I've ever had. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but I feel for the first time, very relaxed in this feeling of being single that I actually have never felt before. So I think I'm I'm sharing this with you because I'm curious, like how many other trans mask folks, trans men of color, feel this way in their relationships? Yeah, I see you raising your hand. Yeah, yeah. I've I don't know what that's about. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know if it's how we are um brought up to be these caring, loving people. I don't know what that's about, but I've always done exact you I felt like you was reading me because in every mm. relationship that's how I was I am going to take care of you to the death but I I I don't take care of myself like I will mm. literally give you my last dollar to take care of your needs but I'm over here needing something I could have used with that dollar yeah and so I'm also recently single and I won't say recently it's been about two three years almost now that I separated from my uh wife but it's like I, this is the first time in my life that I haven't been with anybody and I'm okay with that because I'm working on myself, right? I'm doing therapy every week. I'm going to the gym. I'm eating. I mean, I'm able to create my space in my home the way I want it to be. And I don't have to, nobody tell me that, hey, you can't put that cup on that counter. You need a cup holder. Fuck you. I can put this cup on this counter because this is my <laughs> counter. <laughs> it's your you know what I mean? So it's like those little bitty things like that of like, I'm really taking myself in and like learning of learning myself. I never knew myself before. Right. Yeah. I never knew until I moved into my own place that I didn't really like cheese. Like I huh. was in relationships with other folks was like, I got to put cheese on this. OK, well, I guess I have cheese. Right. But I'm like, I realized when I went grocery shopping, when I first got here, why am I buying cheese? I don't I realized I don't even fucking like cheese. Right. So it's about learning yeah. yourself and being comfortable with yourself and being comfortable with being single. So that really resonated with me that you said that. You are giving me so much hope right now because like. <laughs> I'm about to say this out loud on your show. I Go have ahead. been, quote, thinking about starting a podcast. And I haven't given myself permission to do that. And I'm like, well, what's stopping you? Sean Aaron's over here running his podcast, very successful, meeting all kinds of interesting people, having great conversations. Yeah, absolutely. You're living, you're living like your full experience right now. And you're continuing to expand. That's what it's about at the end of the day. Absolutely. And sometimes we can do that in relationships. And sometimes it's like they just take so much out of us that those aren't the right relationships. I think the right relationships are the ones and I'm, I'm talking about even platonic, you know, mm -hmm. are the ones that are going to help you create and expand in the way that you need to. And so I'm kind of right now, I'm like, well, if that's not if that's not it and it's not necessarily because of that person or about that person, sometimes it's just the way that we might be in that yeah. relationship you yeah. know i think it's important to 
own our accountability in that space because nobody can do that for us. We have to do that, but we have to create that dynamic in our relationships as well. Absolutely. I think one of my things, and I speak about this often in therapy is I have these, these, these uh, habits that I form when I'm in relationships and I need to learn how to, I really want to unlearn those things, these patterns. Mm -hmm. I want to say not habits, patterns that I have that I, I tend to get into without thought. It just happens. Once I say I'm in a relationship, boom, 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 all these patterns pop back up. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm learning to set boundaries. I'm learning what some of these Mm -hmm. patterns are. So I don't even get back into those spaces again. Right. So it's like, it's sometimes some people can't do it though. Right. Some people don't know how to take that space. Some people need to be in relationship and they love being in a relationship and that's okay. Right. But if you do have that opportunity to be alone, get to know yourself, get to know who you are and what your patterns are and what the the things are that you need for you. And so that you could go and build more healthier relationships in the, in the, in the present. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the part of the show where I like to ask my guests a random question. I, this list is constantly growing. And so now I'm on 36 questions. So the questions may or may not have anything to do with what we talked about today. So just pick a number between one and 36, and I will read that question off to you. Okay. Number 14. Let's do it. Hmm. Number 14 says, what is something you attempted to do, but you stopped because you found it too challenging? (laughs) Everything. No. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. It's funny because I always used to be like, it's always easy for me to start something. It's very hard to finish. Um, Well, I'm going to kind of answer your question because um, this it is something that I think shows up over and over again. So the short film Agents of Change that I have right now in the film festival circuit was almost that. Because I started, the idea came to me in like 2017 and we raised money in 2018. We did crowdfunding Um, and I almost, I almost stopped because I was like, the script that we had written at the time was going to be too expensive for the amount of money that we had raised. So I went back to the drawing board and I kept rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And I was afraid that I would actually never get to a place in the script where the money that was raised was enough to shoot it. Um, So I almost, almost never did it. But I think the thing that kept me going was that feeling of like, you did raise this money and you did ask people. And it's not that they want their money back because had I not made it, I would have given the money back. And I don't, I was like, nobody actually wants their money back. People want you to make this. So you have to go, you have to find a way to keep going and do it. Um, So I did end up finishing that. I think that I am one of these people that gets lots of ideas. Like, for example, I just talked about starting a podcast. Um, And do it. Hey, I say do it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I support you. Do it. We're we're gonna have another call at some point soon. And I'll be asking you all the ins and outs of starting a podcast. I'm ready for it. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there are lots of things I could point to because, you know, most of us do have ideas floating around all the time and, you know, and things that are left unfinished. That's okay. We're creative people. You know, we're going to get creative inspirations and we're probably going to think of way more things that we're that we actually have the, the space and the time to do. That's okay. I'm, I'm trying to, like, forgive that, like focus on the things that you really can put your energy into and go for those. Um, 
So I don't know. I could name like maybe 10 things that I said I was going to do that I did. <laughs> but I'm I'm actually okay with that. Not going to punish myself about it anymore. I love it. So where can yeah. folks catch Ages of Change? Where can they watch it? Well, um, right now we are playing the film festival circuit. We are also, um, I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but in December we're supposed to be screening at the UN uh, climate conference that's happening in Dubai. Um so it's going to be playing there. And then early next year, it releases on open television, uh, which is a fantastic Chicago-based media company led by queer people of color. And they have, um, they have a streaming platform. I think it's just the OTV app. You can download it on your phone or your, your device. Um, so it's going to be coming out on, on that in February, I believe. And then we may also, it's not exclusive on that app and we may also release it, uh, online somewhere. But, uh, right now it's just playing the festival circuits. I'd say after February, you can probably catch it on OTV. And if folks want to follow, it's at agents of change movie on Instagram. And mine is at Sean Dasani, uh, on Instagram. Ooh, we'll be sure to put that in the uh, the links in the description so folks can connect with you, folks can watch the film, all of that stuff. So are there any last words that you would like to say to folks that's listening before we head out of here? Last words, I would say uh, life is full of transitions. Uh, medical transition isn't, it, it's a source of strength. And just remember like any change and Anything that's requiring strength from you derives strength from, uh, from your own personal journey, uh, from from your past, because that's what's ultimately going to get you to the next step. Um, and also take the time to fall in love with yourself. It's yeah. worth it. It's worth it. So worth it. Even yeah. if you go on and on and you ramble all the time, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like myself, I do that often, even by myself. <laughs> I'm always rambling some thoughts out. So that's beautiful. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm glad yeah. that we had a chance to have a conversation today. Yes, absolutely. It's been great. So we have reached the end of this episode. I want to say thank you for listening to Them Boys Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Aaron. He, him, his. Be sure to visit our website at themboys.org. That is D-E-M-B-O-I-S dot Org. If you would like to connect with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. If you think you would be a great guest on the show, or if you know somebody you think would be a great guest on the show, there's multiple ways to request to be a guest on the show. First is you can go visit our Instagram page, click the link in our bio. And from there, you'll be able to request to be a guest on the show. Or you can visit our website, Click the programs tab up top, scroll down to podcast, click the podcast button. And from there on the podcast page, you'll be able to request to be a guest on the show. Yo, we need questions, y'all. If you have those burning questions, a question that you want to ask me or a future guest on the show, there's multiple ways that you can send in questions, right? So first you can go to Instagram, DM us that question. Or you can email us at hello at themboys.org. That's H-E-L-L-O, like hi, at themboys.org. Be sure to like the show. Be sure to share this show out with your friends and other folks in your networks. So until next time, take care. <laughs>